All right. Well, it is the first Sunday of a brand new year. It's hard for me to say 2021. Uh, I know it'll be a month or so before I get used to writing 2021. But uh, welcome to a new year, right? A new year is a great time for new beginnings. It's a time to, to start new things. Maybe that thing you've been waiting to do or wanting to do, this is the, this is the time, right? Let's, uh, let's get going with it. Let's get it started. Uh, so January 1, I went to the gym for the first time in uh, probably six weeks. And um, it was a good start. It is a lot of soreness today. <laughs> I am sore. Uh, I'm still sore. But I want to encourage you, if you've got some things you want to start, this is a good time to do that. Well, a few days now, I've been just reflecting on the last year and what we have endured as a people and now the beginnings of a new year. And what I want to do is bring to you a message today from Nehemiah chapter four that I'm calling Build and Battle. Build and Battle. 2020 has been challenging, to say the least, uh, from a global pandemic to political unrest to riots in the streets to um, massive loss of life and livelihood. It's been a hard year. Now, many of us have been sick, have had to quarantine. We've canceled or rescheduled events. Uh, we've had to move weddings from one day to another day. We've had to, you know, uh, move it to an outdoor venue and, and just friends and family. We've had to postpone or cancel funerals and just do a memorial service sometime out in the future. I mean, it's been a difficult year. It's constantly been a reminder that we're not in control, right? And that reality can stir up and bring about a lot of anxiety in us. But... When we remember who is in control, when we remember the Lord who is great and awesome, it puts to rest our anxiety and brings peace because we have a sovereign God. Amen. Amen. So as we begin 2021, I want to ask you, church, Mountain View Church, what do we want to accomplish for Jesus Christ this year? And how can we do it? This week I was praying um, specifically about this message and I had a whole different direction I wanted to go and the Lord totally changed my plan. So I firmly believe this is a message from the Lord. I feel like as I was praying, he, he gave me some imagery, a, 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 vision, a vision in my mind. And I don't, that's not a normal thing for me. It just happened. Uh, an image in my mind of uh, a worker, a laborer, a man who... Uh, is sweaty and he's got the marks on his body of just hard work. Um, his hands dirty and they're, uh, they're marked up from labor. You know, it looked like he had uh, been working in an engine all day or something. You know, his hands are just dirty. And in one hand he had um, the tools for work. You know, brick, mortar, uh, a trowel. In the other hand, the tools of war, sword, spear, shield. This is the imagery the Lord gave me, and it came straight from Scripture. I, I remember uh, a few years ago teaching through the book of Nehemiah, and in chapter 4, that's the image in the book, is a people who are working and building, and at the same time as they're building with this hand, they are fighting with this hand. 
It's a people who have the tools for work in one hand and the tools for war in the other. This morning, that's the picture I want to put in your head as we turn to Nehemiah 4. And I want to call us, church, to be a people who build and battle. As we'll find in this chapter, that's what the people of God are doing. They're building and they're battling. As we find our place in Nehemiah 4, let me just give you a little bit of backstory of what's happening because we've not been studying this book. So a little bit of context. Nehemiah has heard that Jerusalem, the city of God, is in ruins. It's been destroyed and it's in ruins. And he is deeply burdened about what about this news. His heart is broken that the city of God is desolate and he was burdened to rebuild. Nehemiah prayed. God gave favor to his passions as he went to his job serving the king of Persia. The king noticed he was sad and said, what's wrong with you? In that moment, before he spoke to the king, he prayed. And then he spoke to the king and said, I'm broken hearted. The city of God, my city, the city of my people is in ruins. And the Lord gave favor. That king blessed his mission, gave him the materials, the money, the stuff, the letters and said, go on your way and build up your city. Nehemiah began recruiting a team of people to go. And he led the charge to rebuild the walls of God's city. But don't you know, as soon as they got started, the enemy was quick on his heels. There will always be opposition when the people of God are busy with the work of God. That's where I want us to pick up today. So if you have your Bibles in the house, would you stand? And if you're at home today, I want you to to really zone in. You know, for a couple of weeks, I sat at home uh, watching worship and it was tough. It was challenging. So if if you're at home this morning, I want to encourage you, don't don't sink into that soft spot on the couch. Like sit up on the edge, put your Bible in your lap, have a a pen and, and notepad because the Lord wants to speak to us today. And let's be a people who are active listeners. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Nehemiah chapter four. Now, when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged. And he jeered at the Jews and he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burn ones at that? And Tobiah, the Ammonite, was beside him and he said, yes, what they are building If a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Nehemiah responds to this jeering with a prayer. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight. For they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. Listen to this verse. So we built the wall. And all the wall was joined together to half its height. For the people had a mind to work. 
But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And so we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There's too much rubble. And by ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. Our enemies said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us ten times, you must return to us. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, in open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives and your homes. When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. And from that day on, half of my servants worked on construction and half held spears, shields, bows and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building the wall. Listen to these words. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped to his side while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me and I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread and we are separated on the wall far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet rally to, to us there, our God will fight for us. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we read of a story like this and we want to read it in its context. We want to see historically what you were doing to rebuild the city, to bring your people, to call them back into revival. We want to see that in its context. And then, God, we ask you today to help us to see what you want to say to us for today, for these moments, for these days. And just as Nehemiah rose up and called his people out of fear to remember their God and to fight for the Lord. Lord, would you call us to that as well? In Jesus' name, amen. Church, I want us to think about what the Lord may do with us this year. I want to talk to you in, in two parts. One hand and the other, right? One hand for building, one hand for battle. This is what the Lord was doing in Nehemiah's day. And I believe it's what God wants to do with us is to build his kingdom and to battle against the forces of darkness, to build the kingdom of God and go to war against the enemy of God. So let's begin with building. 
What does it take to build? Let me just start by saying there is work to be done. So much kingdom work. As you watch the news, I want to encourage you to see it with different eyes other than other than natural eyes where you think through your political lens or your your whatever preference lenses. I want you to see when you watch the brokenness of our world, see the spiritual darkness that's there and realize that there is much work to be done. This this pandemic, for example, has forced us to reimagine how we press on with the mission to bring the hope of the gospel to our neighbors and the nations. This last year, we canceled mission trips. We shut down our, our gathering for weeks at a time. Even in this moment, we have actively encouraged many of our church members to stay home because they might be at great risk of becoming ill. These are incredibly difficult and unusual times. And I'm telling you, I long for it to be over. But obstacles are the primary ingredient for innovation. When things get hard, it forces you to think new and different. It forces you to go, okay, well, we're not going to give up on this mission. We're going to press through. We may not go that way, but we're going to go this way. And as a church, we will not stop because of a pandemic. The work of the gospel cannot push pause just because there's a virus in the world. We just have to figure out how to do things differently and better to reach the world with the gospel of Jesus. We've learned as we've studied through the book of Acts that there is no enemy that our God cannot conquer. Be it a great army or a microscopic virus. There is no enemy that the gospel cannot be victorious over. So today is a call for us to start fresh, to think new, to get out of the box. We cannot, if we want to reach our world with the gospel, we cannot just do what we've always done. We must break out of the box and reroute to accomplish our mission. So I want to challenge us, church, to rise up and get back to work. Don't settle into the ruts that 2020 has dug for us. Today, let's jerk the wheel up out of the ruts and get back on the path that the Lord has called us to a path of work for the cause of the gospel. So I want to talk to you about building the kingdom. If we're going to build the kingdom of God, what do we need from this text? First, we need a mind to work. A mind to work. Chapter 4, verse 6, Nehemiah says, and he says it with such determination as a leader. He says, so we built the wall. Man, I love that. It's a marker of victory. He said, in the face of opposition, in the face of all that mocking and jeering and making fun that we couldn't do it, that a fox is going to knock down our wall, we built the wall. Then I love that. Passionate leader. But then he says this. For the people had a mind 
to work. Let me tell you something. In, in these days, if you're looking for excuses, you don't have to look very far. Today, there's always a reason not to. But God's people, the people who build the kingdom of God, are not looking for reasons not to. They're looking for, how can we do this? What can we do different? How can we be innovative? How can we think to get around this obstacle? How can we push through it, over it, under it, around it, through it? What can we do? The people of God who are building are looking for how they can invest, how they can make a difference. And these builders in Nehemiah's day, they're not looking to make excuses. They're looking to make a way. And church, that's what I'm calling us to. No more excuses. Yes, it's hard. Let's figure out a way. So consider this a rally cry. I'm calling you out. Calling me out. If the work of the kingdom depends on the work of your hands, what will be done? Let me say that again. If the work of the kingdom of God depends solely on the work of your hands, what will be done? When opposition came, you know, Sanballat and Tobiah, they didn't get distracted. They prayed. They prayed. Nehemiah prayed and he said, no, we're pushing through. We're fighting on. There will always be opposition, church. We must pray and be prepared. Second thing, they had a mind to work. Secondly, they took personal responsibility. They took personal responsibility. If we're going to build the kingdom, it's going to take every one of us. Let me say it this way. Each one of us. Now, we didn't read chapter three, but I want you to look at it. So grab your Bibles. I want you to look at chapter three because it's pretty crazy. It, 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 it tells us that this wall was built by the people. People with names, people with livelihoods, people with jobs. I mean, you could imagine it's like Nehemiah's writing and he says, John, John owned that section of the wall. He and his family, man, they just knocked it out. They built it. They worked hard. They rebuilt. And Bob, Bob over there, man, he was working hard and Bob built it. He was Bob the Builder, I guess. <laughs> sorry, um, I have small children. Uh, sorry. But in chapter 3, I want you to look at it. We can't read the whole thing, but I just want to look at a few verses. Listen to what Nehemiah says. Just look at, at verse 3 and we'll read a little bit. The sons of Hassanah built the fish gate. They laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts and its bars. And next to them, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, the son of Hakaz, repaired and next to them, Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, the son of Meshazabel, repaired. And next to them, Zadok, the son of Bana, repaired. And next to them, Tekoites, repaired. Oh, look at this. But their nobles would not stoop to serve the Lord. Well, that's a painful statement, isn't it? This whole chapter is a list of names of men and their clans, their families, of people who put their hands to work for the Lord. It, it tells specifically what they are known for doing. Many of these people, we've never heard their names and we'll never hear them again. But this is how they go down in the history of God as men who built. They took personal responsibility. There's 
One more verse I want you to read that I love personally. Verse 12, look at it. But this whole chapter is just a list of people taking personal responsibility. I want you to look at verse 12. And next to him, Shalom, the son of Halohesh, ruler of half the district of Jerusalem, repaired. Look at this next phrase. He and his daughters. As a father of three girls. I want nothing more than to bring my children into the work of God. Nothing more than to bring my babies into building the kingdom of God alongside me. Fathers in the room and online, rise up. Lead your families to be builders in the kingdom. Recruit your children to work for Jesus. Do you take personal responsibility for building the kingdom of God? If the Lord recorded your name in the history of building Mountain View Church and the kingdom of God abroad, what would the story look like? Would it be, and he built, he put the the doors and the bolts and the hinges, or would it be, he wouldn't stoop to serve the Lord? What personal responsibility for the kingdom are you taking? What ministry is yours? What do you take ownership over and you say, I've got that. I'll handle that. I can't do it all, but I'll do that. Who? And I mean, what name of a person are you discipling? Who? What name of a person are you evangelizing? Specifically, intentionally trying to reach with the gospel. Maybe the Lord's entrusted you with a lot of money or a lot of resources. How are you investing? Are you storing up treasures in heaven or just building bigger barns here? This is what it means to be a builder for the kingdom is to leverage everything you have. To build the kingdom of God. Church, let's be builders. Let's build together. Now, on the other hand, so in this hand, we have weapons for work and in this hand, weapons for war. I want to talk about battle. Just a few moments here, because what I plan to do is unpack this for the next three weeks. Do you remember the story of Elisha in uh, 2 Kings chapter 6? Elisha and his servant have come to a place and there's a there's a great army around them. And the the servant is very scared. He's really afraid. And Elisha says, don't be afraid, man. Don't be afraid. And then he says this. God, open his eyes to see what he does not see. You should read this chapter. It's beautiful. Elisha prays that his servant would see with spiritual eyes. And immediately the servant's eyes were open and he could see a vast angelic army. That greatly outnumbered the enemy. And all of a sudden his fears were quashed and his confidence was stirred. He began to be bold and ready for battle. God gave spiritual sight that day and it came with it great confidence. Nehemiah is doing the same thing in this text. 
He's calling his people to be bold, to be fearless, to be confident in the Lord. But the first thing that we have to know as a people is this. There is a battle raging. There's a battle raging. One of the best tactics of the enemy is to keep you blinded to the battle. To keep you in a place where, you know, you don't see the things that are really happening in our world. If you're naive to the war, you will never suit up for battle. Church, know this. People, know this. We are at war. We are at war. And so many Christians today are living in the natural world so completely that we're unaware of a spiritual battle all around us. My prayer for you today and for me is that God would open our eyes and provoke us from passivity to passion. To provoke us, to stir us from being passive, to thinking that our prayers are really just about more comforts in the living room. God, help me today to have a good day and da-da-da-da-da. No, no. Lord, please open the eyes of my friend who is blinded to the truth. The enemy's got him in his grips. I'm asking you today to, to break through to his heart, open his heart to see the truth. That's warfare. And that's what God is welcoming us into. Don't be blind. There's a war raging. Far too many of us are naive. Here's the truth. There is a battle. Knowing that, I want to finish with just three statements that Nehemiah gives directly from the text. So I want you to look at Nehemiah 4, 14. In this moment, the people have begun to retreat. The enemy has pressed in that there's even conversation among the Jews, among the people of God saying, we're we're growing weak, we're failing, we're not able to do this, we can't do this. And then they hear the enemy saying, oh, we're going to sneak in and kill them before they even know what happened. And the pressure is coming in from all sides. And so the, the people begin to retreat. And Nehemiah, (laughs) Nehemiah rallies the people. He comes together. And in Nehemiah 4.14, listen to what he says. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight For your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. So there is a battle raging, but just because there's a war, it doesn't mean we retreat and run for our lives. There are greater things to do in this life than just preserve it. Think for a minute about the soldier on the battlefield. My mind goes to some imagery from the day that the ships landed on the beaches at Normandy. 
Uh, can you just picture that in your mind for a minute? These big rectangular metal uh, boats that are full of soldiers, just slammed full of soldiers. And the, the boat rides up onto the, the beach and slams into the sand and this huge gate opens and men come barreling out of that boat. You got that image in your mind? You've seen it, right? Let me ask you, how effective is a soldier in taking more ground and advancing the mission if his chief concern is saving his own skin. Those men that day sacrificed their lives to advance the mission. I'm not calling you to some kind of morbid martyrdom. But I'm calling us today to know that there's a war and not be afraid to fight. There is a lot of fear today and anxiety is crippling the church. If you look back to the passage we just read. We see the people of God retreating. So Nehemiah came to them as a great leader. He said, let's regroup. I want you to get it, get in with your family, get with your family and get your weapons together. He got them together with the people they loved the most, the people they cared about the most. And then he rallied them with a battle cry. In verse 16, it says, from that day on. From that day on. That little phrase tells me there was a turning point. There was a turning point where they pivoted from fear to confidence. And how did it happen? Number three, Nehemiah says, remember the Lord. Remember the Lord. Who is great and awesome. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. In moments when your faith is failing. You know, our faith is forward looking. Hebrews 11 says faith is the expectation. It's the anticipation of things not seen. It's the faith that hopes in a, in a good future. But sometimes when faith is faltering, it has to look to the history of a good past. It has to look back sometimes before it can look forward. We have to look back with, with bold confidence in what God has done in order to look forward with what He will do. So I just want to make some statements. Because there's a lot of people saying 2020 was wretched. And I love many of you have seen your post talking about how 2020 was wonderful. And let me say this. Here's what's shown us about our God looking back. God is a great redeemer. In spite of all the crazy, God rescued and saved many this year. Through the ministries of this church, we had the joy and privilege of baptizing people into the family of God. In the middle of a pandemic, I, I wore a mask and baptized people. How beautiful is that? God is redeeming. He's a redeemer. God is our joy. He's our joy. 2020 was hard, but wow, it was wonderful. I've never spent so much time with my family. Never in my life have I spent that much time with my children. I have two precious baby boys. Thanks to a stay at home order. <laughs> Got me. 
about you? How has God been your joy this year? I mean, you have, a, you have the, the opportunity for perspective. Look back and see what God has done. God is our healer. Oh, church, we can shout that truth together, right? God is our healer. This past year, he has healed many of us. Many of us have been healed. And it's not just because of drugs or vitamins. No, it's our God. He's the healer. We have prayed specifically for brothers in this room who have been deathly ill. And we've watched God work miracles. Amen. Our God is a healer. Our God is our provider. There were many times in 2020 where I was concerned as a pastor, a, a, a leader of a church that supports many missionaries. I was concerned, like, we're not going to be able to, to fund the work of the gospel. These people need it. We're, Lord, what are we going to do? And I feel like in the moments of my personal anxiety over a little bit of money, God was like, brother, I got this. Our God is a provider. We never once faltered on our giving for our missionaries. Praise God for that. We could go on and on, and we should. This is what Jesus means when he says, every time you do this, remember me. This is what it means to remember the Lord. When Nehemiah said, don't fear, remember the Lord. He is great and awesome. This is what he means. Specifically, our minds run to the Lord Jesus Christ, who endured the worst kind of ridicule and pain on your behalf. And the Apostle Paul reminds us of the determination of our God to give us good when he said, He who did not spare his own son, how will he not also with him bless you all? The cross is the beautiful picture of our Lord in his great and awesomeness. Church, when we look back with gratitude and praise, then we can walk forward with faith and power. So what does your faith do? What does this faith do now that you no longer fear and you walk in faith? What do you do when Nehemiah says you fight? You fight. That's strange because I think a lot of preaching is, it just seems to lend itself toward passivity. And you know, we're supposed to be a calm and, and gentle people as Christians. Baloney. We're supposed to fight. We fight not against flesh and blood, as Paul writes, but against powers and principalities of the air. And we suit up for battle, not just with clothes, but with the armor of our God. We go to war for the Lord Jesus Christ. If we're going to build his kingdom, we have to be prepared for battle. So lastly, fight. Nehemiah rallied the people to fight with passion by stirring them with a love for their families. Did you notice that? He called them to get together with their families. He wanted them to look around and see the people they loved and cared about most and say, are you willing to fight for them? Are you willing to fight? For your brothers, your sisters, your sons, your wives, your daughters. Are you going to fight? Because their lives are at stake. That's the truth today, church. Our homes. Our legacy. Men, it's at stake. Go to war. 
I love Nehemiah's call here. Sounds like something right out of Braveheart. I've got imagery of Mel Gibson on his stallion with his face painted blue, and he's like riding, and he's riding in front of his army. He's like, "Do not fear," you know, freedom. That that whole image, right? That's the imagery I get in my mind. Is this Nehemiah who's leading his people to fight? Don't retreat. Fight. So how do we do that, church? The next three weeks. I want to spend teaching us how to suit up for battle. There's too much here, so we're going to spread it out. But here's what I want you to do. Beginning next Sunday, January the 10th, I want you to prepare to fast and pray. And we are going to dig into what it means to put on the armor of our God and be devoted to his mission, building the kingdom and going to battle against the enemy. I want you to join me for 21 days of fasting and praying. And just to be clear on that, fasting means to cut out food of some kind. Now, that may be for you one meal a day. It may be a particular food item. It may be something like that. You can also cut out social media, turn off the TV and unplug from whatever the things that pull your attention and affection. Because there's nothing worse than a distracted soldier. The idea here is to disconnect from the world, a horizontal disconnect and a vertical reconnect. But fasting implies that you really deprive yourself of something you really need. That's what fasting means. Your body is actually going to be the the thing to tell you, hey, I need something. And in that moment of perceived physical need, you meet it with a real spiritual need. In the moment that your body says, I need, I need, I need, you say, here's what you really need is God. So I want us to spend three weeks intensive of disconnecting from our world and connecting with our God. What will you sacrifice for three weeks? How will you commit to more time with the Father? I believe the enemy right now is saying these things to us. Will these feeble people do this? Will they restore this themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heap of rubbish? Even burned ones at that. Yeah, what are they building? Even if a fox went on that, it could tear it down. That's what the enemy is saying to a people in whom God is stirring a resolve to build his kingdom. And what must we do, church? We must go to battle. Would you bow your heads with me for a moment as we conclude? I want to tell you the best news in the world. We are at war. We are fighting battles in the midst of a war. But here's the best news is that the war has been won. The victory is already won. But the battles rage on and we are in the midst of the battles. But here's the best news. The war has been won. Jesus Christ. The Lamb of God gave his life 
He took your sins and mine to his cross. He endured the wrath of God so that sinners like me and you could be forgiven and welcomed into this war. Jesus is building his church and he said the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Have you surrendered your life to Christ? Have you yielded your days to Jesus? Your Monday. Does Jesus own it? That's what it's going to take. Your Tuesday, your Wednesday. Does Jesus own it? If we're going to build the kingdom, that's how you go to battle. You give him every day. You yield your life today and tomorrow and the next. And you say, Lord, help me suit up for battle today. I want to go to war for you. Mountain View Church, those connecting online, let's build the kingdom. And let's battle for the glory of our King.